When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. What if you found yourself with no money, no resources, no support, no home, no food, and you had you and your children to take care of? Would you resort to selling your body for money? My guest today on Stories Connect People podcast is Tina Williford. Tina shares the situation women are faced with when they have absolutely nothing and what some women are forced to do to meet their basic needs. Women resort to selling their bodies for sex and then end up covering the guilt, shame, and embarrassment with alcohol and drugs. It begins a vicious cycle. Tina found her calling years ago in Guatemala on a missions trip. What she saw in Guatemala, women selling their bodies, was happening right in her own community and she answered a calling to start the table on Delk a few years later. The Table on Delk helps to connect women and children who are at risk of being sexually exploited to resources helping them get out of this cycle. Women are resorting to survival sex to get money for food, a place to sleep, and the bare basics for their children. The Table provides a safe place for a meal, access to computers, Bible studies, laundry services, activities for children, and even classes to help with a very simple thing like cooking, a meal, and a crock pot. Tina and the Table and Delk team and volunteers make sure the women know you matter, you are enough, you are loved. They meet them where their need is. Hear from Tina about the important and meaningful things that they are doing to help support these women and help them see a different and better life. Welcome, Tina, to Stories Connect People podcast. Hi, Tina. Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Polly. Appreciate the invitation to be with you. Oh, sure. Well, um, I wanted to start by saying how we met. So Tina was introduced to me by my friend Susan. And Susan and Tina have been friends for years. And Susan has volunteered with this organization and ministry that Tina is um, a part of, The Table on Delk. And she shared with me, Tina, about the great work that your organization is doing to get women at risk of being exploited and trafficked out of their toxic cycle. And so the work that you're doing is so important. And so I want to thank you for being on Stories Connect People podcast today. Well, again, thank you for the invitation. When we talked a, um, a, a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about the podcast, 
you said something that really um, touched my heart. And I just want to share that as we are opening up here. Normally, you don't like to be in the spotlight like this, that you um, don't like to do things like the podcast, but you keep getting opportunities to do this. And you feel like it's God's way of saying, um, you know, here you are and able to get the message out about about this organization and the great work that you're doing. And so, and I love that we're able to spotlight that. Well, thank you. And it's, when I first started in this space back in 2011, I was very frustrated that people just were completely oblivious to the trafficking that was going on around them, whether it be the world, the nation, their state, or their backyard. And the Lord convicted me early on and said, they don't know because you won't talk to them about it. And so that has pushed me out to talk about the greater issue of raising awareness uh, to the issue, which is the first step in recognizing and addressing a problem. You have to be aware that there's a problem before you have any inclination to provide a solution to the problem. I just want to um, to thank you for everything that you're doing to bring more awareness. Our listeners are going to see. Um, not only just the great ministry and the work, but how you're really transforming lives and and making a difference in the lives of these women and children, which which may mean for the children that it completely transforms their their life and and um, you know that that they can grow up in a much different life than than where they may be at today. And so, why don't we start, Tina, by you just sharing um, a little bit about you and your background, and then maybe you can. S- share what um, led you to to start in this work? Sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Northwest Indiana, a Midwestern girl, went to college in um, at Miami of Ohio, got a job at, right after I uh, graduated from college. It brought me to Atlanta, um, worked in corporate America for five years, then um, got pregnant and have been a stay-at-home mom for 29 years. So um, my husband and I have been married for 32 years. We have four grown children and two grandchildren. We have always been active in the church and have done missions work that have been age appropriate for our children, whether it be decorating lunch bags or, um, you know, washing laundry or, or serving in a foreign country. So when our oldest two children were uh, 11 and 13, we took them on a short term mission trip to Guatemala. And so we did the typical short-term mission trip work, the vacation Bible school, the um, shoe distribution, the feeding, the medicine clinics and things like that. But on the last day when we were in Guatemala, the missionary that we were serving with took us to the red light district of Guatemala City. And he said, go out and invite the ladies who are prostituting and the drug addicts and have them come in. We're going to give them breakfast and do a church service. And so... Spanish is not even my second language. I I can't speak anything other than English. And so the challenge to go out and talk to ladies in a different language and witnessing what they were going through really made me angry, like like really angry. I was I was not necessarily sad that this was their situation. I was appalled that this was their situation and felt like something needed to be done about it. So I couldn't unsee the things that I had seen in Guatemala, but did feel at that time my calling was to be a stay-at-home mom. So we returned to America, to to Atlanta, and I resumed my everyday life. And it wasn't until six years later 
that the Lord really put some legs on what I had seen and what I had felt in Guatemala. And so in 2011, I had the opportunity to get involved with an organization called Out of Darkness. They uh, serve women or they they seek to uh, rescue and restore victims of sexual exploitation. And so I worked with them doing all different volunteer opportunities from street outreach to um, safe house mentoring. I would help to identify long term recovery programs and would mentor the ladies through those programs and then started doing jail ministry at the local in the local jails. I'm talking to ladies who had been arrested not typically on prostitution-related charges, but rather shoplifting or drug possession, something like that. And then we began to develop a relationship with them and give them the opportunity or the knowledge that they could actually make a change in their life. Their past did not have to predict their future and that change was possible and help was available. So I really loved doing that. And then in 2000. 16, while doing jail ministry, um, learned of some specific activity that was a little bit closer to my home and felt like was calling us, my husband and I, to do something in the anti-trafficking space right there on Delk Road in Northwest Atlanta. So we started the table in 2017, and the table serves women and children who are currently or at risk of being sexually exploited out of motels right there on Delk Road and I-75 in Northwest Atlanta. So for the listeners that are in Georgia or Atlanta, they may be familiar with Delk Road. Um, it's a very uh, prominent area in North Atlanta. And so, but you you brought the the passion for this from Guatemala. And so just because we're talking about the table on Delk, I mean, our listeners, you know, from anywhere they are in the U.S. or around um, around the world, and I do have listeners uh, uh, from around the world, they can they can take the learnings that that you're sharing with us today and the awareness and, you know, potentially be able to to look for opportunities to help in their in their own local areas. And so I love I love that. The other thing that you said that I want to comment on, and I think it is so important, is that you said that your past shapes you, but doesn't have to define you. Or that's that's what I say. And in, 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 uh, you said uh, basically the same thing. And there could be no more truth than right here in the work that you're doing um, to prove that you know, there, there is a different life there. It doesn't, I mean, it might, it might um, shape your life, but it doesn't have to define uh, who you are. And so the work that you're doing is so impactful and uh, is, is really just truly changing lives. Um, And so I really appreciate that you're, you sharing that perspective. Can you just share maybe what the day in the life is like for people that you're helping. And so um, you shared a little bit about what you do and a little bit around the ministry, and I want to dig deeper into that. But paint a picture for us of what life is like for the people that you're helping. So we, in, in the world of commercial sexual exploitation, there are all different slots that you could put people in. So you get um, people who are erotic dancers, you get people who are involved in pornography, who do street prostitution, who um, are escorts or are victims of 
of, of a trafficker. They're underneath the thumb of a trafficker. The folks that we serve at the table are engaging in what the industry terms survival sex. And that's exactly what it is. They are using their bodies to meet their basic needs. Um, I shared just a minute ago that my husband and I have four children. And if I was a young mother responsible for all four of my children, had for whatever reason, no family support, no husband in the picture, I was left to my own means to support these kids. Again, didn't have childcare or anybody couldn't hold the job because I didn't have an ID, had been lost or I never got one at all. I would begin to explore what my options were to help provide for my children. Like we got to have a roof over our head and we need food in our bellies. So what are my options? You know, as a mom, you do whatever you have to do to provide for your family. And I can absolutely see why people, you know, would, would get, you know, trapped in this cycle because it is, it is survival skills for them. We, the folks that we serve, that's what they they do. They use their bodies for survival. And these, the moms that we serve, they're actually trying to be good moms in meeting the needs of their children. And I can tell you from my own perspective, I have four kids. And if I was left to be responsible for providing for their basic needs, I would begin to consider doing the unthinkable using my body to survive. It's the choice of sleeping on the street or being homeless or not eating versus selling my body that that begins to weigh heavy. So I begin to consider doing the unthinkable. Then I do the unthinkable and I can I know myself. And if I have crossed that line and I begin to use my body for survival for myself and for my children, I'm not only doing it for food and for shelter, but I'll be taking something, smoking something or drinking something to make that reality go away. And then I have an addiction to support as well. So it's a vicious cycle that's very difficult to get out of. And then some men, primarily women, we know women traffickers, but some men are out on the street and they say, hey, I see you know, you're working really hard. You know, I can help you. Let me help you. Let me help you do this. Let me help you take care of your kids. And then, bam, I've got a trafficker. I've got a pimp. And so now I'm under his rule. So it's it's a very, very um, dangerous cycle. It's a um, a lot of times it's a hopeless cycle to get out of. And because the ch- of the children witnessing all this, they grow up thinking that that's normal. That's life. That that's just that's just what you're supposed to yeah, do. Right. Yeah. There is no other quote choice. And I don't like when people say, well, the women are choosing this. I'm like, yeah, no, nobody chooses this. They, they choose it because they don't have any other options. How do, how do you generally see people get here? Is it just a combination of job loss or they've made the wrong choice or they're running away from maybe a domestic situation and they're just trying to get, get a new life? I mean, are, are there you know, what are some of the more common um, reasons that you see people um, get to this place? Yeah, you hit on you hit on several of them. Um, we do see a lot of, of uh, runaways or victims in the uh, foster care defects system. We see, though, primarily victims of childhood sexual abuse. So they learn at an early age or they feel that at an early age, this is all they're good for. They're damaged goods to any other man, and this is what every other lady in their family does, and so that's what they grow up doing. So it, it's a generational thing for sure, and it's just it just leads into, again, this never-ending cycle, 
And so it's it's very difficult to break out of. I can imagine. Is there one thing that is a game changer for these women where they say where you could like pinpoint that this is something where they can see a different world or imagine a different life or they can see the light at the end of the tunnel or something, you know, where it just doesn't feel so overwhelming? Is there like a one or two things that's the that kind of breaks this cycle? Or is it just a series of um, things like that what you're doing? Um, unfortunately, it's a slow process for sure. But there are some some game changers to use your words. There are some game changers that, that we do help folks with. And one of them is an ID. You or I was astonished when we first started the table, the number of women who do not have an ID. And without an ID, you can't even get into a shelter. So think about what choice you have then. If you don't have an ID, if it's been stolen or lost, and I don't know anybody who has either gotten a license or is the parent of someone who's tried to get a driver's license, you've got to have a birth certificate. You've got to have a social security card. You have to have all these other documents to prove you exist or where you live. And again, if you're homeless or bouncing from room to room, um, you've lost those things. You don't have, you don't have, you haven't kept up with those. So we come along and we do help ladies get their ID and men too, but we help folks get their IDs, which involves getting a birth certificate having a mailing address to have that birth certificate mailed to, showing them where the social security office is and telling them what things they need to take there. And then the table is act- has actually been authorized by the state of Georgia to be an indigent verification agency. So we can give these folks a letter along with their birth certificate and social security card that they can take to the Department of Driver Services and walk out of there with an ID for free. That's a game changer. Having an ID is a game changer. That is something that seems so basic and like you wouldn't even think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just ha- you just have your ID, but you're so right that you can do hardly anything without it. And so I can imagine that that would be one of the earlier you know, game changers mm-hmm. for someone to say, you know, well, now, you know, I can prove that I'm even a person with, with an ID, right? right? And so that they can, so that they can start having some other options. And so um, that seems so foundational, but I love the work that you all are doing around that. Yeah, we're happy to do it. And, and also you need an ID to get to a food, to go to a food pantry to get food. So again, without it. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I had no idea about it's that. It's crazy. Um, so unfortunately, um, if someone is looking for someone to uh, sexually exploit, they don't care if you have an ID. That's your choice, if you will. That's the choice that they're making, which drives me crazy. That's what people think. When we connected a couple of weeks ago, and again, we were talking about um, the podcast, um, you were talking about, you know, th- just the accommodations that they have. And you know, you think going to a hotel, like we're going on vacation Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, kind of fun and, you know, you're staying at a new place and it's probably pretty nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about the um, environment that um, the people that you're helping are in and how that is nothing like what they're experiencing 
Right. Yeah. Um, one of the most luxurious rooms that we have um, in the, the four motels that we serve, it is 17 by 23 feet. That's how big it is. And that th- this, again, is the most luxurious one. It has a little um, dorm size refrigerator and a small microwave. And we know we have a family that we're serving right now. Um, she has 10 children and they are packed into two different rooms. So uh, for again, that's the most luxurious room. Most of them don't have that accom- those accommodations. They are in a much smaller room without a microwave or a refrigerator. So that means they have to eat out every meal. And we, we, we can go to Chick-fil-A and spend, you know, $8 on a meal. And that's, that's not a big thing to us. But if you're feeding a family of six at McDonald's, that gets pretty expensive or racetrack or, you know, some other fast food place that, that gets pretty expensive. So in addition to staying, to paying for your motel lodging, and again, these aren't, these are economy motels, but they are not cheap. They are running well over $300 a week. Or sixty some dollars a night if they're if they have to pay nightly. So you're looking at with lodging and food, you're looking at about a hundred dollars a day to live. It's expensive to be homeless. It really is. It sure sounds like it. And even the most meager of jobs, which of course you have to have an mm-hmm. ID to even get. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to pay someone to take care of the kids, mm-hmm. and or you know who's taking mm-hmm. who's taking care. Of of the kids if you have kids and you have to put food on the table and diapers on the babies and and all of those things and so even to live at the most the the most basic level and without zero anything that would be considered luxurious you're right I mean it it is it is really expensive and then you uh, add on top of that you know a car to get places if they even have mm-hmm. you know a car which probably most of them uh, they don't probably most of them right. don't and so they're probably just you know wherever they could walk or take the bus or um, to get to and so they must they must feel so isolated in mm-hmm. in this type of environment yeah you're right they do they do. And that's one of the things that the table is to the communities. We're basically a community center. We're a safe place where women and children can hang out. They can get out of that environment. They can get out of the motel room where there are seven, eight or nine people packed in there. No privacy. Um, and so they come to our space and we offer them free meals and a safe place to hang out. They, we have laptops, they have Wi-Fi connections, um, we do games, we do Bible studies. Um. And so can they, they have meals? Yes, for, uh, we started off in January of 2017 doing just one daytime outreach and we offered one, like a lunchtime meal. And so what started as one has now grown into ministry five days a week. So we are offering lunch four days a week. We're offering dinner through Bible studies and recovery meetings three days a week. And we're doing um, cooking classes. We've got ladies doing GED prep classes right now. They're getting their, their GED. And two of the ladies that are doing it right now are in their 50s. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a goal that they want to accomplish. They want This is something that's important to them. So it's something that they have control over and they want to do it. So we've been able to, we're doing that right now. Again, we've offered cooking classes because if you're in a motel that doesn't have a refrigerator or a microwave, and but you don't want to spend all that money on fast food, how can you cook in a crock pot? What can you get and, and 
cook it in a crock pot. So we have a lady that comes and does cooking classes like how to cook a meal in a crock pot, how to go to the grocery store and buy the, the ingredients to cook a meal and feed your family of eight for $2 a person. I love that the organization is meeting the person where their need mm-hmm. is and you know that it's that you're helping them make the best of the resources they have. Um, that that is really incredible, and I think important to recognize that um, you know it's not talking. You're not teaching them how to make a fancy meal. You're teaching them how to make something basic out mm-hmm. of something basic that they have for you know for the limited funds that that they have, and so. Well, um, I so I've interviewed uh, some other people who, um, you know, particularly a, a a principal that was very involved in um, a hunger program in her area, and she had talked about the the connection between education and meals for children and how important it is to for for kids in their learning to you know have a full tummy and not be thinking about how hungry they are and all of that and so with kids not in in so many schools these days provide meals for students that are, um, you know, maybe in need of, you know, breakfast or, or lunch. And, you know, some of them may even get a couple of meals, at least in her program, they would get a couple of meals a day. But when school's not in and with everything going on with COVID, um, are you seeing, you know, students or children have even less resources or, or less of a access to food where they may be experiencing the same challenge? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. When when COVID started, we were doing a study hall for our kids, again, um, emphasizing the relationship between education and and breaking out of poverty and and homelessness. Um, We were doing a study hall at our place. And so we were giving the kids snacks when they got there. And then we would provide them a sack snack bag to put in their backpack for the next day at school because all of our kids were on free breakfast and free lunch, but they didn't get a free snack. And so when COVID hit, we had this stockpile of sack snacks, um, juice boxes, granola bars, you know, fruit cups and things like that. And so when COVID hit, we're like, what are we going to do with these things? We can't have study hall anymore. You know, the schools have been closed down. Yes, the kids need to eat. We realized that was first and foremost, forget education. They need to eat. And so we uh, put, we started making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and dropped those into our sack ba- our snack bags and took them down to the gas station where our motels are. And we've been passing out sack lunches there since March 16th. We've been doing it Monday through Friday at 2.30 in the afternoon. We give a sack lunch to any woman or child that comes by. And we give them the opportunity to, uh, we offer a prayer, it's offered to pray for them. So through that ministry, we call it Psalm 34, 8, which says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Through that ministry, we've been able to meet so many more people and learn of additional needs. And you mentioned it early on, you know, the diapers, that's so Mm -hmm. expensive for these young moms. So we have now, we supply diapers and wipes to the moms who place the orders uh, throughout the week. We deliver diapers and wipes on Fridays. We've started doing laundry service for our guests. They can bring their laundry down to the laundromat in our shopping center, and we will pay to have their clothes washed. We do the um, quarters for the machines. We do the fabric softener and laundry detergent and dryer sheets. And we have an opportunity to develop a further relationship with with our folks. So we are trying to meet the basic needs. 
we connect to resources we don't provide, except for what I just told you. Meaning we pay, we don't hand out money for the motel room. That's on that's on mom. That's on our ladies. But we will help them with the expenses, the tangible expenses that we can, which is the diapers, the food, and the laundry. So it's been a wonderful uh, blessing for us to be able to offer these services to to our ladies, and they they truly do appreciate it. And it's been again a wonderful way to meet new people and to meet them where they are. That's something that we're really passionate about. Is we want to love people where they are and listen to them. We don't want to see them as people to be fixed or projects to conquer. There, we want to just meet them and, and where they are and listen to them, love them and listen to them. And so we just do that one step at a time. We have something on our wall that says, now is the time to do the next right thing. So literally, it's like, okay, here you are now. What's the very next thing that you can do? Whether that's something related to food or you know, job, education, whatever. We just really try to break it down for them. We don't give them the the three-step plan to get out of the motels. There is just so much love in everything that you just said there. It's incredible. And when you say love them where they are, I, I love that because I just think about how they must feel like from their perspective. And, you know, if if people are seeing them through this great life that they have and, and, you know, they have a home and, and they have a job and, you know, they have food. And, and when we start thinking about the situation that someone else is in and looking at the situation they're in from their perspective, not from our own perspective, and just looking at it through a completely different lens I mean, it just totally changes your perspective. You know, like we were talking about earlier that you do, you just do what you have to do to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what, what these moms are doing. But there's just so much love in everything that you just said there. What feedback do you get from, from the women and, and the children? You know, I mean, I just, I just love the laundry story because I mean, you just feel so dirty if you're in dirty Mm -hmm. clothes. Again, that's like so basic, like you don't even think about it, but it's so impactful for someone that doesn't even have access to that for you to make it available to them. Yeah, we we used to have uh, a family that we served on a regular basis where the mom would not send the kids to school because their clothes were dirty and the children would get made fun of. And so she just wouldn't send them to school because they had dirty clothes. So it, the shame that that our moms, our folks feel just like you said, being dirty, um, like they don't matter. Just so yeah. So feedback has has for the most part been very good. It, it's it's been very good. They're they're appreciative. They are grateful. Um, you know, there's there's an element of of pride in the beginning that they don't want to accept. But we do we do we our goal is to treat them with dignity and respect. We don't want to be these good pe- coming in to, to, to save the day. Like here we are to save the day. You're, you're, you need to be fixed. So we've got solutions for you. So just come, come let us help you. So no, they, we do because we try to meet them where they are. We 
try not to judge them and their choices or situation, whatever. Again, just meet them where they are. And how can how can we come alongside you? We will match the effort that you give. We're not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. Um, but but for them, again, the most part, people have been very grateful. The children, oh my goodness, the children love come and hang out with us. They would come without their moms if they could. In fact, some of them used to pre-COVID. But um, but yeah, we would we could have a full-blown youth center if that's what we wanted to do because the kids just love coming and hanging out with us. And we're not cool people either. We <laughs> were really not. They see something different. They see hope. They see they see life. They see possibilities. And they they get even talked to in a different way. Not because we're better, but just because we know. People can only give what they know or what they have. And so if you have a lifetime of negative talk, negative self-talk, abuse, a lifetime of that, then that's what you give. Not because you're a bad person. That's just all you have. And so for us, we have different things that we've been given so we can offer different things. And they're in stark contrast to what the resources that their mothers have. And so we're trying to help mom. We're actually a two-generational approach. You know, we're, we're trying to serve the children and we're trying to serve the mom. So we're serving those at risk and we're serving those who are currently being sexually exploited. Do you have turnaround stories or just um, examples of, of, you know, I know you would never mention names or anything like that, but, you know, just examples of where someone has, you know, taken advantage of the ministry and, you know, you've connected with them and they've been able to turn their life around? We actually do. And it's funny, we, um, she had a big life event a couple of weeks ago. We met this young lady, um, she and her two daughters, they had come here from Mississippi escaping a domestic violence situation. And so they came to Atlanta looking to start over. They ended up on Delk Road in one of our motels and we met them on one of our outreaches. Just They were out in the parking lot. Oh, let me back up to our outreaches. We go and meet people at the motels, but we meet them in the parking lots. We do not go knocking on doors, looking for people or, or that kind of stuff. So we're out in the open with everything that we do. And so we met this mm-hmm. mom and her two daughters. And um, this was back in the summer of 2017. So they were one of the first people that we really had established any kind of a relationship with. And so this young mom would bring her girls to the table every single time our doors were open. They participated in girls Bible study and women's Bible study. They attended Celebrate Recovery. They were there for all of any time our doors were open. They were there. We were able to connect them to uh, different resources that help them get out of the motels, number one, then get into transitional housing, number two. Then she got her own apartment. She and the girls got their own apartment. She she has a steady job and she has kept to the job the whole time. She met a man about a year ago and they dated and got married two and a half weeks ago. They live. Yeah, they bought a house and it's she's an amazing individual. She did the she did the work. I mean, she did. We we came alongside her and we supported her and we encouraged her and we cheered her on. And we're like, come on, you can do this. You can do this. But she did the work. She had the desire. So again, we'll match the effort that people put in. It does us no good, absolutely no good if we try to drag people to change or force people to change when they're not ready. It just, it backfires every time. So this this mom had the desire. She knew that, that more was possible. And her mother, what um, our, our lady's mother, died of an overdose, a drug overdose. So that was her life. She grew up in, in a drug 
uh, community, and she's changed the course of her daughter's generation, the, the, her family generation. You know, her daughters will, will grow up in a home with a mother and a father in a, in a consistent home. They won't be in their car or on the street or in a motel. So it's, yeah, she's completely shifted the course of the next generations of her family. The uh, great resources that you provided her and um, her family. I mean, just listen to all of the things that they took advantage of. And I, mm-hmm. I love, you know, how you describe, talked about this a couple of times about how you met, um, how um, the table is matching where they are and the effort that they want to put in. And I think that's really important. But if they're not ready to make a change, if they don't want to put in the the effort for their family, then I can see how, you know, that that isn't where you um, would have the greatest return on um, on helping on helping people. Yeah. And we and we have a lot of people who are in that camp. Um, We have a lady that really was the reason that the ministry started. She was the one that said, hey, there are many or as many or more of us engaging in prostitution on Delk Road as there are out on Fulton Industrial Boulevard, where Out of Darkness was doing an outreach at the time. And so she's the reason, again, the table started. And I just had a conversation with her um, Three and a half years later, we've tried to help her get off the streets, and she just really hasn't been ready each time. She's been tired of living on the streets, but she hasn't been ready for change. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. And so she she texted me just a little bit ago earlier today and said, I think I'm ready. I think I want you to put me in the national database and find a rehab for me. So I'm like, oh, my goodness, yes, I will absolutely help you. <laughs> We're going to put her in the national database to see if we can find a, a recovery program that will address the trauma that she has inc- incurred in addition to her addiction of um, just being on the street since she was 11 years old. She's been on the street since she was 11 years old. Wow. And she is 57 right now. It's kind of like it's it's like all she knows. Absolutely. Uh, literally, she, that's all she knows. Yes. So, um, but we haven't given up on her. Even though, you know, she's tried and not been successful. I try to look at it this way, though. You know, anyone who struggle, anyone who has any kind of addiction, if they try to break out of it, whether it's or want any kind of change, we are rarely successful the first time. So if we're, whether we're changing our eating habits or a healthy lifestyle exercise or trying to quit smoking, something like that, we usually don't set our mind to it and then are successful the first time. It's statistics say five, seven, nine times it takes to attempt before we actually have success in changing a behavior that we have. Where I like to look at it for our ladies who have been been hopeful enough, brave enough to believe that, that change is possible and they go into a recovery program. And if they don't succeed that time, that's actually not a failure. That's one step closer to that's going to take for them to be successful. Like, okay, now, yeah, we're, you only have, you know, three more to go and you're going to get this. You're going to get this. It's not like, oh my goodness, you failed six times. Like, no, you know, you're, you're almost there. You're almost there. So that's what we try to do too. We're, we're more encouragers than anything else. (laughs) Well, it sure sounds like it. And it sounds like, I mean, for her to reach out to you, you know, after all of this, you know, time and to, to keep coming back to you as as um, you know, someone that she can count on being there, and you'll respond, mm-hmm. and you you won't make her feel you know any anything other than you know just valued and and loved. And hey, we're here to support you if you're ready. Now we're here to support you. 
I think that is, I think that's huge. And you are helping them feel like they matter, that they belong, that they're valued. And um, they may never feel that from, from a lot of people in their life. And if you can bring that to them, it might be something that they don't feel very often. Right. It's funny that you um, that you said I matter. That's one of our our slogans, if you will, uh, that I matter. I am enough and I am loved. That's what we say a lot. In fact, our our Wi-Fi network is that. (laughs) Um, But we have that on a couple of T-shirts. I matter. I'm enough and I am loved. And we, we make our ladies say that first person. Not you matter. You are enough. You are loved. Forget to get them to do this positive self-talk. No, I matter. I'm significant. I, ha- I, I have a purpose. I'm enough, whatever that enough is. And I'm loved. And from those three points of foundation, you can do anything. Confidence starts to build and you start to believe those words you're saying. Even some of the most successful people struggle with the negative um, self-talk and and lack of confidence. And we all struggle with it from time to time, Mm -hmm. some more than others. And I can't imagine how, you know, some of the people that you're helping, you know, they must have such low self-esteem, such low confidence. They don't feel like that they are loved by anyone and for you to bring this into their life. I mean, I matter, I am enough, I am loved. And for you to help um, them, you know, start even just planting the seed to, to start believing that can be, can just be the start of something much bigger for them. Yeah. We had one volunteer who um, she has, has been ministering to this 25 uh, year old mother. She has four children or five children and um, the volunteer would always say, you know, I love you. And the young lady, the mom would kind of roll her eyes and our volunteer would be like, no, I love you. And she'd roll her eyes again. And our volunteer's like, what is wrong? She's like, the mom said, no one has ever told me that. I don't even know what to think of that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the simplest things are the most um, just life changing. You know, so we don't underestimate the simple. I think there's a verse in Zechariah. Um, it says the uh, the Lord does not despise the day of small beginnings. <laughs> so we are definitely small beginnings. So I have two things. Um, one, I want you to talk about how if anyone is interested in contributing or getting involved in uh, the ministry or the organization, how do they do that? And, you know, if someone's not in, in Atlanta, which there'll be listeners that aren't, what advice can you give them to research um, opportunities uh, like this in their own area where they could find organizations that are doing similar work? Yeah. Um, so on the, the bigger picture, the bigger scale, I think for people to try to discern which group they're wanting to get involved with. So there are the at-risk individuals, there are the current victims, and there are survivors. Then there are also the the um, the traffickers and the pimps. There are organizations that seek to serve the traffickers and the pimps, and then the buyers who are called Johns. So there are like five different groups. You can like p- take your pick. Which one do you want to get involved with? And then on what level do you want to help with awareness? Do you want to help with legal policy? Do you want to help with um, education or um, 
or, or boots on the ground. I mean, like, yeah, the table, we're, we're boots on the ground. We are first touch and we serve um, both at risk and victims. But now we have survivors. So, so we're serving, we're kind of a unique blend of, of, of a ministry for folks to, um, to get involved with the table. They can go to our website, which is the table on Delk dot org, um, nothing fancy in the, the title or whatever. But if they were interested in Googling other anti-trafficking um, organizations, they could do just that. Google anti-trafficking organizations in my area. I would discourage them from starting something themselves. I would encourage them to get on board with people who are already doing the work. So, so yeah, I would encourage them to get Google anti-trafficking ministries in your space, in their area, and then how they can, how they can help. We anti-trafficking ministries always need volunteers. Well, I mean, I guess money too, but always need volunteers. We we need people to help do all kinds of things: mailing, make phone calls, you know, praying, um, rescuing. Again, whatever level of involvement the listeners want to to have, it's available. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that because I was going to ask you like, what are some tactical ways to to be involved? And so you did a really nice job of laying that out. Well, Tina, it's been really great having you on the podcast and the the way that you love and care for the women and, and probably even more so the children and the work that you're doing to just help them, even if it's just one step closer to changing their life or transforming their their world. It's such important work that you're doing. And so Stories Connect People podcast is all focused on sharing stories like yours where um, you're making the community and the world a better place. And so I want to thank you for, for sharing all of the great work that you're doing. Well, I appreciate the invitation and thank you for helping me raise awareness of the issue of sex trafficking. <laughs> thank you, Tina. I hope that that our listeners will find a way to contribute either financially or through, um, you know, helping from a volunteer standpoint, or even those that aren't in Atlanta or um, aren't in Georgia can find other organizations that they can get involved in locally. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.